It's not uncommon for abuse victims to find themselves with little to no financial means, few marketable skills, and either a not supportive or unhelpful social support system. In this episode, Tara and I answer a listener's letter who finds herself exactly in this position. And the self-help tip is about giving ourselves permission to act in our own best interest. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse. I'm Dr. Carrie Kerr-McAvoy, a mental health specialist with over 20 years of counseling experience. And I'm Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach. This is a listener-supported podcast. Please consider becoming a supporter of the show for less than a cup of coffee. Tara, I got a letter from somebody that I think really applies to a lot of people in our audience. So I want to use it today as a way to kind of talk about some issues in it, like we Mm -hmm. did with this other letter that we had a few episodes ago about the situationship. This person wrote, Dear Carrie, I think my mental illness is my biggest obstacle because I'm afraid of everything. I'm Mm -hmm. afraid of being alone. I've been with my ex for 23 years and I love him, but he's no longer in love with me. I've been with him since the age of 16 and I'm a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. taking care of the kids and the house while he's built his career. I've only had one job since I've been 16 and my ex makes enough income for me to stay home. Mm I'm afraid of being on my own, and he uses religion to manipulate me and tells me that if I leave him, that God will curse me. I've suffered for most of my life from depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and schizophrenia. I do okay when I take my meds, but I'm afraid of everybody and everything, and I'm socially awkward. And he tells me I'll never find somebody who loves me, and I believe him. I have no friends. I've been in church but I'm not really allowed to go out and my only funds are disability. And even the vehicle is the only thing that I have in my name. Everything else is his name, even my phone. Please help me. I feel stuck. How will I ever get out? Oh, there's a lot in there. There is. So that's why I wanted to talk about it because I know I'm not the only one who hears these types of stories Mm -hmm. of dependency, lack of income, a lack of career options, maybe even a lack of skills, and then mm-hmm. feeling like there's even no social support and being very, very scared and maybe having some mental health issues, certainly having trauma. Right. Absolutely. So the thing that jumped out to me at first was that I'm afraid of being alone. I don't know if that jumped out for you, yeah. but I that is something I hear very often from followers and people who send me messages and things like that is this utter fear of being alone and that they're willing to stay in this toxic, unhealthy, narcissistic, abusive relationship because at least that means they're not alone. Yeah. And I, I hear that. I absolutely can relate to that. I can remember staying in that marriage feeling like this is misery, but at least I'm not alone and miserable because I didn't feel like there was any hope if I was single or alone. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't I didn't like myself. So I didn't want to spend any time alone with myself. I didn't feel like I was that good of a person to hang out with, let alone hang out by myself. How did you deal with that? Because, in fact, someone just said that to me yesterday, Mm -hmm. that nobody's ever liked this person. Their partner didn't. Their family hasn't. They're not even for sure they know who they are. So how did you address that. And I know, honestly, that I felt the same. It's not just a you thing. I, mm-hmm. I've been there. I'd love to know how you did that, because it's a great point. Mm-hmm. In my particular marriage, I felt like I was at fault for all the abuse that was happening in that relationship. We had tried couples therapy several different times, and he started refusing to go. If our relationship wasn't the problem, if he wasn't the problem, then I had to be the problem. So I was seeing an individual therapist, and mm-hmm. an individual therapist talked to me a lot about 
really looking at how I speak to myself on a regular basis. Uh, There's a good book. I think it's When You Talk to Yourself. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's a very good book, and it even provides actionable exercises like Mm. to just do that kind of cheesy work of, I love myself. I am worthy and deserving of love and respect. And my therapist at the time gave me that as a as an exercise. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote it, I wrote some affirmations on the mirror in my bathroom with an expo, which was pretty awful at the time because my ex saw them and then would be like, you're not worthy and deserving of love and respect, <laughs> which didn't do well with me changing my positive thinking. But mm-hmm. I was seeing it more, just mm-hmm. having it there. I'd written them in a post note that I'd stuck on the steering wheel of my car. So every time I got in my car, I had to I, I would read it in my head. I love myself. I'm worthy, deserving of love and respect. Cognitive behavioral therapy is what I was taking, and it is a lot about looking at how we speak to ourselves and how we can sort of change the framing of those thought processes. And for me, the affirmations were very helpful as long as I was also following it up with some kind of action. So a lot of times I remember I got a massage um subscription service where I could mm-hmm. go every month and get a massage. And I would tell myself those affirmations while getting a massage because it was nice and loving and and kind to do that for myself. Mm-hmm. And when I was saying I love myself in my head while getting a nice massage, that felt that really reaffirmed for me that I deserved some of that. And it really started small, but it did build up. And that started to be the time when I was starting to implement different kinds of boundaries in that relationship. For example, I couldn't stop him from yelling or screaming at me, but I could remove myself from the situation. And I had never felt capable of doing that before. Mm -hmm. But as I started changing how I talked to myself, I started seeing that I didn't have to stay and stick around and allow someone to mistreat me, that I could remove myself from the situation. And that started to be a step that I could take in the process. Mm-hmm. How did you work for that? Yeah, I went at it a little bit different. I didn't use the self-affirmation, but what I did was I thought about people that I loved and then looked at why I loved them mm-hmm. and realized the characteristics that I loved them was because of who they are, not for what they did or how they looked or that it was for deeper reasons, that it was because they were precious to me. Because they're who they were. So then I thought to myself, well, then how is it different for you? Mm. Can it be the same? Isn't when people who really connect with me, aren't they connecting with me because of me? Not just as necessarily for what I do or how I appear or what assets or resources I have because it's me. And so I started applying that to myself. So every time I would like get hard on myself, I would then ask, kind of recheck myself Mm. and then apply that same measure. But it was the same kind of incremental working myself through. So I think that's that's a a really important beginning part is learning how just to like ourselves, Mm -hmm. not just even love, which to me is more acceptance, but like preferring ourselves, like finding ourselves fun to be with, enjoying our own company. Going through COVID alone, working from home and having no one but myself really helped me by forcing me to be with myself. Mm. I think it's easy to get distracted, to focus on work, job, kids, even television or gaming or whatever else that we're doing. It's easy to like not sit about thinking about spending time with ourselves and liking ourselves. So that that was my first starting point. I think the other thing I hits me about this letter was the degree of helplessness. Mm-hmm. So I agree. The first was, I'm alone. I'm scared to be alone. I And I heard a lot of uh, underneath that. I don't like myself. But the next piece is, 
I feel stuck. Mm -hmm. I feel helpless. I'm trapped. And there's, I mean, this person listed real things. And most people who are in these relationships list real, real obstacles like money or Mm -hmm. nowhere to go or no support. So it becomes the question of how then do they take this step to get themselves out of these really awful places? Yeah. Especially when you got someone who's actively sabotaging you and and telling you that all of that's true and that they can never do it themselves. What I tell clients in this space, the first part is start keeping secrets. Mm. And I think that's a really (laughs) tough one. That's a tough one for a lot of my clients because they're like, well, he keeps secrets and that's awful. And I can't do that because that's against my integrity. But I think too often we think we're going to get the buy in of the abuser or the narcissist to making real changes like that. They're going to allow us to, to move out, get a divorce. It's going to be drama free. And I've never seen that happen. (laughs) No, I know. I know. But that's why I even wanted to jump in and say, I don't even see it as keeping secrets. I see it as protecting one's privacy. Mm -hmm. Secret keeping to me is actually a nefarious thing. It has ulterior motives. Why do why do we ask someone to well, I may say keep this between us, but that's because it's deeply personal and mm-hmm. I just don't want you saying it to everybody else. But normally, when we say to someone, don't tell anyone this, we're grooming them for something. Mm. We want them to hold information that we know we would be judged or the situation would be judged negatively if it was found out. So I'm thinking like secrets in these relationships is double lives like hiding the money. Um mm-hmm. Um, embezzling, there, there's some kind of theft going on, or there's some type of cheating or addiction that's going on. There's something that would be a breach of the relationship if it was known, and the person then is not making it known. To me, though, privacy is a little different. Privacy is, I don't necessarily need to tell you how many times I use the restroom today. Mm-hmm. That's just my information, or when I may have a period or don't have a period. I just don't feel like that's public knowledge. I feel like part of our protectiveness is is protecting is is that and includes our well-being financially mm-hmm. and our well-being career-wise or what we do with our time. That to me is a little bit on the privacy end, not so much as the secrecy end. I know it's kind of a hard line. Does this person have my back? Mm-hmm. Well, the story, absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. If he doesn't have her back or whoever, they don't have this person's back, then it becomes important that you definitely need to have your back, which means to take care of yourself financially, take care of yourself socially, take care of yourself physically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this particular person is stuck and you listed several like they don't necessarily have a career. They haven't had a job since they were a teenager. They have a car in their name, but they're very limited Mm -hmm. as far as a lot of things. So. First thing that I always tell clients in this space is if you're married, go ahead and look at what assets, what protections are available to you as someone who's potentially going through your divorce. What would that look like or mean for you as far as leaving, reaching out to domestic violence, abuse shelters, crisis centers? They're also called women's shelters, reaching out to those in your area and seeing what kind of resources they are able to provide, some even provide legal information or legal advice that you can use to help yourself in those specific situations. But I always think it it needs to start at a place of research, like really assessing what what's available to me, what might I expect based on which route I want to take. And this person also has a lot of mental health issues going on. So and it looks like they've had to seek help for it at different Mm -hmm. times. And the hard part is some of these are difficult for for multiple reasons, like depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, those are 
very intense mental health conditions, which may be being able to ask for help from a mental health professional, maybe even going to your spouse and saying, oh, I'm so messed up. Please, can I get help? Might be a way to sort of get you some help because you're coming across as as the messed up one. Yeah. Which in some of these relationships, that's that's welcomed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because it makes you dependent and also gives them the one up position. I also know that like the community mental health services, it's may not have all the resources it should have, but it has resources. And I think this person probably qualifies for more things as they realize. And if they start to ask that system for assistance, let the system know that they're they're in a violent situation or an abusive situation, I think they could probably qualify for maybe even housing assistance or certainly mm-hmm. maybe even, I'm thinking like food resources or food stamps or something like that. So definitely, it, but it takes asking. It may mean yes. calling legal aid. It may mean calling United Way or talking to the mental health community site in your agency in your area. But it, it takes asking and getting out and talking about or finding those kinds of resources. You gave me a really great idea when we were talking before we came onto the show that I thought was, I don't know if I could do it, but I, I, <laughs> it's creative and, and, and it's because an, I think there's an angle that we can take to make it palatable. So why don't you share what it is and then we can talk about how to justify this. Yeah. So with, with some clients in this specific situation, she was only allowed to spend money on the joint credit card at the grocery store. So what she started doing was buying visas when she was at the grocery store because she didn't have to show or present the receipt when she came. Um, And there was a later time where she did have to show or present the receipt. So she would go she would add an extra purchase on, you know, she would add it, do it separate on a receipt later. So and it wasn't he wasn't necessarily seeing or catching up with, oh, why are these extra grocery store purchases on the same day? But she was. Still buying it from the grocery store, but she was buying a Visa card and she would just do $20 in the Visa card every time she went to the grocery store and she was just collecting them and putting them aside. So that was a way she was sort of able to funnel money to protect herself to eventually be able to leave. Okay, I know a lot of people that I know would say, oh, but that's that's not honest. We both know that as partners in a relationship, we should have a certain amount of money that we get to spend on ourselves Mm -hmm. and certainly our toxic partner is spending money on themselves right. <laughs> and right and left and maybe on things that they really shouldn't be. So I think the way to for me to justify it would be to say, you don't get that leeway. This person's controlling that mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be. You have a right to have pocket money. If this is the way you want to have your pocket money, why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't need to know that. They're not asking you every time they go grab a burger somewhere or every time they go out. And probably chances are what they're spending, whether gambling or buying a beer or whatever or getting smokes. They're not asking permission for that. So do you need to ask for permission for this? And seeing it as privacy instead of secrecy. Exactly. exactly. Like I, I, I will call it a secret. Absolutely. But it's not a secret in the same way that you might see. But you call it privacy. So right. seeing it that light too. Right, right. This is a really difficult situation. I think the last thing I would emphasize is please don't go this alone. Mm. Let people know that you need help. Okay, maybe most of your friends and family or even your church family or whoever you're in a in, in a social situation may not understand, but it doesn't mean you can't find people to understand. After all, she reached out to me, so yeah. she knows there's an online community. So I think that's the other thing is to make sure you connect with an online community. A lot of us offer those types of group support. 
so that you can feel heard, understood, get better ideas, mm-hmm. see what works for other people. Maybe even hear of career opportunities that doesn't take a lot of training or skills. Right. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, that she could do is mm-hmm. just because you haven't done a job in 20 something years doesn't right. mean there there are not options. Maybe exactly. researching or checking out options, even if it's just cleaning a church, you exactly. know, cleaning a church after hours or there, there are always options. But we do have to ask and we do have to be open to that help. Exactly. Exactly. The self-help tip for today is... It is analyze behavior from the standpoint of intention, which works perfectly with what Mm. we were discussing Mm. just a second ago. And when we were talking about privacy versus secrets... So when, for example, this person is funneling money and buying those Visa credit cards, their intention is not to take it and go spend it on something crazy, like do something awful. Their intention is really self-preservation, to exactly. care for themselves, to make sure that they have an option to to thrive. And so a lot of us do things because we're in survival mode. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean it's. It's morally or ethically bad, right? But it, we do have to see it from that point of intention. We're not doing it to control our partner. We're not doing it to steal from them or anything like that. Our intention is to take care of ourselves, right? Right. I know narcissists just to push back would say, "But I'm doing the same." Mm. <laughs> but their intention is predatory, and it certainly is for domination, and it is to control you. Mm. I think what's different about this is you're not trying to control them. It's just, as you said, for preservation, self-preservation. It's, I know for some people, they may struggle to see the difference, but there really is a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not out harming the other person. You're not out cheating on this person and then claiming, oh, it's just self-preservation. I need to have that extra right. relationship. That's, right. I mean, this person's able to go buy the beer because they say they're worth it. Why could you not also the same way save up money for the things that you need, even if it's for escape? Right. That's still about self-preservation. I'm glad this listener gave us this letter and it trusted us with it. And I appreciate that. And if people, if those listening today may have a situation they want us to talk about, I I know you and I would welcome addressing them here. So I hope people send them in. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Have a question or comment? Email us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrietarrett.com. If this episode has been helpful, consider becoming a supporter. And if you haven't yet, make sure to follow us at Breaking Free from Narc Abuse on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. We'll see you back here next time.